Welcome to The Refresh from Insider. I'm Rebecca Ibarra. And I'm Rebecca Knight. It's Wednesday, October 5th, and we're here with you updating the news all day, every weekday. Here's the latest. The members of OPEC Plus are meeting today, and a key panel is recommending the cartel cut oil production by 2 million barrels a day. That would reduce supply and drive up the price per barrel. If the cut is adopted by member states, which include Saudi Arabia and Russia, the move would raise gas prices, which is bad timing for the Biden administration just weeks before the midterm elections. The White House had been on a full-scale pressure campaign to prevent OPEC Plus from dramatically cutting oil production, warning that it could be taken as a, quote, hostile act. The number of job openings fell in August down by 10 percent. It's the largest drop since the start of the pandemic, and experts say this may be a sign that the market is finally starting to cool. Retail and healthcare saw the biggest drop in openings. The Labor Department says it's still relatively easy to find work right now, with over 10 million jobs available and just 6 million people unemployed. In Somalia, 900 children under five years old are among the thousands who have died so far from a two-year-old drought that doesn't seem to have an end in sight. The AP has an exclusive report from displacement camps, which are a growing destination for the one million Somalis who've been forced to flee their homes. Climate change is making regular droughts much worse, and Russia's war in Ukraine is blocking desperately needed grain from reaching Somalia. The U.N. is likely to make a rare famine declaration this month, saying half a million more children are at risk of losing their lives to this extreme event. Airlines will need to provide flight attendants with at least 10 hours of rest in between shifts under a new rule announced by the Federal Aviation Administration. They currently get nine and sometimes fewer because of how the rules are written. The extra hour of rest comes after a trying two and a half years for flight attendants. Among many things, they've had to contend with a sharp rise in unruly and belligerent passengers during the pandemic. Airlines have also had to ramp up hiring over the last year to meet a surge in air travel demand. New York Yankees slugger Aaron Judge broke the American League's record for the most home runs in a single season last night. He smacked his 62nd ball over the wall of the team's second game of the day against the Texas Rangers. Judge didn't have much time left to make history. Only two games remain in the regular season. Then the Yankees get a little break before their first playoff game next week. Today and every day, we're updating the refresh from Insider as news happens, so check back whenever you want to know the latest. Did you know you can share any of our segments on social media? Just look in the description section on your podcast app, and you'll see a little share link next to each story. It's super easy. Give it a try. The founder of Bridgewater, one of the world's biggest hedge funds, has stepped down. Billionaire founder Ray Dalio started the fund in his apartment almost half a century ago, and the decade-long process to replace the charismatic leader was like a storyline from HBO's succession. Dalio stepped back, he tested several new execs, he stepped back in, he made his son-in-law oink like a pig. Oink for your sus, Tom. Oink. 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 Kidding, that was from the actual show Succession. Back to Dalio. 
Gallio. It wasn't clear if the 73-year-old would ever really take his hand off the wheel, but he's finally leaving and on a high note. While markets overall have been down, so-called macro funds like Bridgewater have had a record year. Donald Trump is asking the Supreme Court to get involved in the high-stakes legal showdown over the troves of documents seized at Mar-a-Lago. Trump wants the hundred or so classified docs back in the hands of an independent special master. But Trump is not asking the DOJ to stop using the documents in its ongoing criminal inquiry, so it's kind of unclear what bigger advantage Trump's legal team is hoping to win. The high court has not sided with the former president in the past when it comes to blocking records requests. I have surrendered to the tech gods and the fact that all my information is out there for the public to find online. But if you, unlike me, are not a quitter, then you'll be happy with this news. Users in the U.S. can now more easily request that their address, phone number, and email be removed from Google search. You can do it by clicking the Results About You feature on the Google app or in Chrome by clicking on the three little dots that appear next to the search results. The world's best bar has just been named, and for the first time in over a decade, it's not in London or New York. It's actually in Barcelona. The world's best bar list was created in 2009, and this year Paradiso in Barcelona has taken the top spot as the world's must-see watering hole. London's Tayer and Elementary came in second, and New York has six bars in the top 50. At Paradiso, guests can imbibe a show-stopping super-cool martini, which uses a cooled gin mix to build an iceberg in the glass, or a hot toddy known as On Fire, which infuses smoked milk with bourbon, sherry, and sweet potato. Uh, anyone else thirsty? Mm -hmm. Just me? Okay. Forget about Shark Week. It is Fat Bear Week, and this year's bracket features 12 brown bears. They all live in Katmai National Park in Alaska, and bear cams allow voters to size them up as they devour salmon in a final push to get fatter for the winter. By the end, brown bears can weigh more than a 1,000 pounds, and last year's champ, 480 Otis, faces some really heavy competition this year. Voting starts today, and the winner will be crowned on Tuesday, October 11th, a.k.a. Fat Bear Tuesday. You can check out this year's contenders at explore.org. American workers are burned out, but you know whose job it is to keep them rested, engaged, and committed? Middle managers. You know, those in-between bosses who make some decisions and lead teams, but who don't have all that much power. Employers are counting on them to define expectations, build connection between workers, and help employees derive greater purpose from their jobs. As a careers and workplace reporter, this challenge of middle managers is something that's on my mind a lot. I also talk about it with my editor, Tim Parody, who happens to be a middle manager himself. He's here to chat with us all about it today. Hey, Tim. Hey, Rebecca. How are you? I am fine. Thanks so much for being here. Let's start from the beginning. Why should anyone care about the plight of the middle manager? Because many of us are middle managers. I read somewhere something like 11 million people in the U.S. are middle managers. So it's a lot of the workforce. And these are people that many of us interact with day to day, just like you and I do. Right. I mean, you are my boss. Yep. And I have many bosses above me. So, <laughs> so I'm in that uh, exact middle role. The thing is, is that we hear so much about the state of the American workforce. People are exhausted after two and a half years of pandemic life. But managers are burnout too, right? I read a recent Columbia University study that pulled more than 20,000 workers. It found that among managers, nearly one in five are depressed. How does their mental state affect us, workers? 
Well, I think the nature of middle management is that it touches a lot of people who are doing a lot of the, the boots on the ground, if you will. So I think if they're not doing well, then a lot of those even lower level workers aren't doing well. So I think it, it's a problem. And I think it's also a challenge because middle managers who are burned out can't communicate the things that upper management wants to get down to the rank and file. So I think it's it's an important cog in the whole system. It's almost like a contagion. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. How are middle managers supposed to support employees who are disengaged or just doing the bare minimum at a time when organizations need more from workers? Well, it's hard because a lot of the rules of work have been rewritten, right? Many of us are still working remotely. People are coming in at different hours. They have different childcare arrangements. They've got pets that they didn't have before the pandemic. There are all sorts of forces that are kind of tugging at the American worker that weren't necessarily there before the pandemic. And so middle managers are tasked with trying to keep up morale while maybe people are at a distance and and trying to be understanding of workers' needs, while at the same time also trying to make sure that the needs of the business are met. So it's a really tough position to be in. I think probably the biggest thing that middle managers can do is be empathetic and listen to their workers. Tim, as I said before, you don't have that much removed from this topic. How does it feel to be you right now? (laughs) Uh, Well, our whole team is remote, as you know, so there's a lot of effort made to make sure we connect. Most of our meetings are on video. We try to check in with people on Slack and see how people are doing. We ask about their kids. We do all the kind of things that you try to do to connect with people in an office setting. There's a little bit more effort that's required when you're remote to make sure you do those things and that we don't just drop all the pleasantries and small talk. Tim, at a time when so many people's mental health is suffering, to what extent is it the manager's job to alleviate some of the pressures and stresses and distress that people are feeling? I think for managers, they obviously have their job to do and they have their expertise and it's not, in most cases, in mental health. So they need to not sort of go beyond their scope. But I think that middle managers can at least understand that people are going through some difficult times. And I think that alone can lead to more effective management by just being willing to give workers a little bit of flexibility where they can without messing up the business goals and all these other things, but just being understanding that it's a difficult time for a lot of people. A lot of employers are frustrated that they want people back in their seats. They don't understand why we just can't get back to normal already. A lot of people still don't feel normal, and we do need more compassion. It's interesting because during the early days of the pandemic, sort of during deep lockdown, if you will, workers were getting all sorts of love from their employers. Employers were saying, oh, we understand this is really hard. You guys are doing amazing work. Thank you for doing this. And after a while, though, when the pandemic started to ease up a little bit, it's some of that messaging seems like it's gone away. So I think reminding top management that those messages were effective in many cases for workers to sort of make them understand that the big boss does care and that their needs are important. How can middle managers set boundaries and expectations, and how can they take care of themselves right now? I think middle managers need to model the kind of behavior that they want of the people who report to them. I think if you tell the people who report to you, you know, be sure you log off on time, or be sure you take vacations, or be sure you take your dog on a walk at lunch, then they need to do some of those things themselves and not expect people to do as they say, but not as they do. So I think it's really important for middle managers to show the best behavior they can. Tim, you are always very flexible with me, and I certainly appreciate it when I need to leave early to pick up a kid or or run a quick errand. 
the the economic news isn't isn't very good. The business news isn't good. So it is so important to make sure that we are talking about the good stuff and why why we do what we do. I know that that's been something that that you do that has been really helpful to me and making me feel like my job is important and interesting and worthwhile. Absolutely. I think your job is important. Uh, I think you're right. Given that the news has been rather depressing of late, that it's good to, uh, where we can focus on some of the positive things, even just the small wins in people's lives. People have, you know, birthdays, they get a new dog, they get promotions, that kind of stuff. It's nice to to share in those moments because, again, I think we've all been through a lot the last few years. And I think it's nice to kind of celebrate the humanity that we all share. And, and we all work hard. We get our stuff done. But it's nice to have colleagues that you like and respect. Tim, thanks so much for coming on the show, and I'll talk to you at our next one-on-one. Absolutely. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Tim Parody is the Future of Work Editor at Insider. For more of Insider's coverage, go to insider.com. Make sure to follow The Refresh from Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps other people discover the show. You can also just tell your smart speaker to play the Refresh from Insider podcast. I'm Rebecca Ibarra. And I'm Rebecca Knight, in for Dave Smith. Talk to you soon. Listener.